Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio podcast. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This week, actually, we've been uh, a little more frequent than monthly, uh, but this week we have uh, Renee Howard, who is the founder and executive director of CORE24. Welcome, Renee. Thank you. And uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and thank you uh, for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad that you've joined us. And today we have Renee with us, who's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, some of her work uh, dealing with uh, parents and um, uh, as a part of a nonprofit uh, child advocacy organization. I'm going to have her tell us a little bit about it, um, but we are also going to spend just a little bit of our time talking about adverse childhood experiences and the kind of uh, intersection, if you will, with COVID in the past year and, and hear from Renee, who's in the field, and have her tell us a little bit about what she is seeing and expects to see in the coming months and even years uh, in her work uh, related to this. So, Renee, uh, again, I'm I'm really glad to have you. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. And uh, so tell us a little bit about COPE24, uh, which stands for Changing Our Parenting Experience. Um, but tell us a little bit about it and and where you are. Okay, well, COPE24, obviously, changing our parenting experience in 24 is in 24 hours a day. And um, I started, you know, this was not something that, if somebody would have asked me 20 years ago, you know, what I would be doing in 20 years, this was in no way, you know, on my radar. Mm -hmm. Um, A little over 20 years ago, my husband and I had two children literally show up on our doorstep on Christmas Eve night. The same two children on two different Christmas Eve nights. And, uh, you know, we as educated adults uh, know that children are abused and neglected. We knew that child welfare existed. We knew that people fostered and adopted children. Um, But to say that we had an understanding of the child welfare system because we had that knowledge is is kind of like saying because you know how to drive a car, you understand how the engine works, you Mm -hmm. know. And we we were called into this, actually, because this was a family member. The adults were very educated people who had made some really, really poor decisions and ended up without jobs. And there was also that, that um, from the mother's perspective, there was that generational cycle of abuse and neglect and dysfunction in her family. And so my husband and I, not knowing a whole lot, just decided the best path for these two children was probably to help the parents get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. And so for the next three years, we will, we will do that. 
and then it becomes apparent we're just enabling this couple, and it's at that point that I make this hotline phone call to the state of Missouri, which is where I live, and report what has been going on, what I'm seeing, and asking them to investigate this. And if they'll do that, uh, then we will be a support system. We're willing to foster. We're willing to adopt, but they've got to make it legal for us and walk us through that. And that phone call ignited a four-year fight for these kids and mm-hmm. in, in that they will come and live with us for three different times for extended periods of time, but each time we have to give them back to a mom that I know isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And so the light bulb's going on. I considered that all of that time, that seven years, to sort of like be my high school-level education in child welfare. And uh, fortunately, somebody highly recommended to me once I made that hotline phone call to start journaling and I took that piece of advice and began journaling every day. And the second time we had to return these children to an environment I knew wasn't going to be healthy, I sat down with the notes that I had journaled and began writing. And that became a manuscript. And to this day, I'm shocked that manuscript was actually published into a book. And, you know, I saw that book going in a whole different direction than where it actually went. But sure. it opened doors for me in our uh, capital city, Jefferson City. I was appointed mm-hmm. to Missouri's Task Force on Children's Justice. I was appointed to their Critical Event Review Committee. I was ultimately became the person that wrote the reports for that committee process, and mm-hmm. that goes to the federal government. And so all of that became my further education on the child welfare system and, and really having an understanding of how it worked, and, and it was slow. And so I am a doer, and I didn't really have a solution at that point. COPE 24 wasn't a thought in my mind. So what occurred to me was to go out into our high schools and start speaking. And um, all I had was my story. And Mm -hmm. it turns out high school's teachers love guest speakers, and I sort of had a knack for speaking. Mm -hmm. And I did that for six years. I'd leave my house on Sunday night and – wouldn't get back till Friday night. I mean, that speaking literally took off because mm-hmm. of a group of teachers that a lot of people don't even know exist. They're called family and consumer science teachers. They're in almost all of our high schools. They offer classes like parenting, child development, uh, family relations, adult living, sometimes they're the health teacher. And these were the teachers that were contacting me and asking me to come in and speak. And after the first year, to be honest with you, it had spread to all of our border states, the, all the states that border Missouri. And in and, and the next year after that, I was getting requests across the country. And it, that's sure. when it became obvious to me, we've got to do something else. One sure. person can't humanly possible get to every single school. And so the idea of creating these video uh, presentations, documentaries, so that students could understand the realities of parenting, because what I was really trying to do was get out in front of this problem. See, this, the child welfare system, when they take children into care, the ultimate goal is to reunite them to their family. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate goal. That's the mandate. That's the laws in every state. Mm-hmm. And so these parents will have to agree to do certain things to get their children back. And, and everybody's agreement can look a little bit different, but what's the common denominator is is they all have to go to parenting classes. 
Sure. And I'm thinking, well, that's a great idea, but why are we waiting till people become parents? And now we're going to teach them how to parent. That's right. kind right. of crazy. Sure. Well, we know that more than 80% of us are going to be parents, and sure. we know we have this huge problem in our yes. nation. So, so tell Wait. me, you, you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but so tell me a little bit because you know you 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 talked about that you 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 went in and you were talking to uh, the the students in these various classes. Maybe some of them are food science, but some of them are home economics and other parenting courses. But what what is it that you are? Uh, tell us a little bit about your message. What is your what is your message to these? Uh, these parents in waiting, so to speak. Well, what I was trying to say was share my story. My story ignited a lot of questions, a lot of dialogue. Uh, It was really easy to connect with these kids. And, um, you know, when you're growing up in dysfunction, you don't necessarily know it's dysfunctional. That's what you know. And so by having these conversations with these kids, you could literally see the light bulb go on like, oh, Everybody doesn't live like this. And these teachers have been educated to teach this in a way where we're not sending our students home to tell their parents you're doing it wrong. That's not the goal, but to get them to observe. Um, You know, even the most unhealthy of parents want things to be better for their child. They want their child to make more money, to have a better job, to have more education. Now, we may not be equipped to help them attain those things, but we want those things for our kids. And what mm-hmm. I have been saying to students is, but what you should also want is for you to be a better parent than your parents. You want your children to be a better parent than you. The goal is to always get better. And that's not to say I did a bad job. It's just mm-hmm. to say I'm human and I'm not perfect. Then how can we improve on this? Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of my message at the same time teaching them about the system and why it works the way that it works and foster care and why it works the way that it works. And, uh, you know, it was different for every group of kids. I was in um, a school one time, a classroom, and this freshman child raised her hand and said, you mean we actually have foster students at this school? I mean, there are some kids that are just that naive, which is kind of nice, but it's not nice too. They don't, sure. they need to know this is, yeah, you could have one sitting right next to you for all, you know, you right. know, so right. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I have had some experience working in the, uh, the K-12 setting, uh, working with, uh, various, at various levels of, of administration. And, and I know that there, it's quite difficult at times to, uh, to know how even have teachers uh, be able to support students that have gone through uh, or in foster care or in in uh, under state supervision, uh, state care as well. And so there are a lot of laws around that in terms of protecting their privacy, but are not often uh, structured where they're helpful. And I, I assume by in in terms of you and your organization being an advocacy organization, um, I'd love to hear about, and I'm sure some of our listeners would love to hear about what you do specifically around advocacy, because I think people um, uh, 
think different things about advocacy. And in some cases, it is uh, speaking up for children that may be in trouble or may be in these foster situations. But then there's other work that happens in advocacy. But I'd love to hear about what just briefly some of the things that your organization does uh, in the way of child advocacy. Well, our organization is specific to we are trying to get the nation to understand we've got to make parenting, education, a national priority. And what we mean by that is we believe every high school student in every high school should be taking parenting or child development education. And we make the argument for that. And we also produce reality-based documentary-style videos that these teachers can or or they don't have to. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. dozens and dozens of of awesome textbooks. There's all sorts of supplemental material, but the the videos that we produce are meant to supplement what teachers are doing from textbooks because all of that time that I spent in the classroom, I started cheating. You know, teachers Mm -hmm. have to step out into Mm -hmm. the hallway in between classes, and I would look at the textbooks. I would look at what other supplemental information these teachers had access to, and what I noticed was missing was there was nothing reality-based. So when you're sitting in a classroom, it's easy to get students to understand you can't do this to a baby, you can't do this to a toddler. But in reality, uh, it's a little bit tougher because in a classroom, there's not a baby screaming. There's not a toddler throwing a tantrum. There's Mm -hmm. not a child that's being defiant and not wanting to go to bed, and you've got a headache or you've got the stomach flu. Those things aren't happening in the classroom. And Mm -hmm. so the COPE 24 is trying to bring reality into the classroom, but also trying to get teachers to understand exactly what you said. Um, You've got a lot of children, students in your class that have suffered trauma, and they don't even know it's trauma. And some of it's been identified, and some of it has not. And so when you have kids in your classroom that are acting out, uh, those are actually signs Mm -hmm. that something's Mm -hmm. not right. Right. And our, our typical response was, you know, I don't want this kid in my class. You know, what is wrong with this kid? And we know now from the ACE study, since we're going to talk about that, that, uh, that those are real signs that something's went happened. We should be asking what happened, not what's wrong. And so, right. um, so actually the last documentary we just released in October of this year or August of this year is, is called How Many ACEs Are You Holding? It's, mm-hmm. it's a documentary on the topic of sure. ACEs and that sure. trauma. Sure. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And so for those of you who have just joined us, I have uh, Miss Renee Howard, who is the uh, founder and executive director of, of uh, COPE24, a um, advocacy agency based in Missouri, uh, changing our parenting experience. And we're talking a little bit about um, the challenges associated with letting both teachers and students know about the stories that exist out there about abuse and neglect and foster care. Um, Renee, I, I am reminded of a, uh, a case study of sorts that I use in one of my courses on leadership in, in the program that I direct. And this particular case is, it actually made national attention a few years back where a young lady was, um, was in the classroom and 
she was she was um, called out by the teacher for having her cell phone on her desk, and this was against the um, school policies for the students to have their cell phones out. And um, so she refused to put her cell phone away. And the teacher called the school resource officer. And, you know, as the story goes, the there was a conflict between the student and the school resource officer because she still refused to put her cell phone away. And and so it ended up being on all the national news outlets where the student, a uh, 15 year old uh, girl, was dumped out of her her chair onto the floor and and handled very roughly by this school resource officer only for us to learn that the backstory was that this child had just been put in foster care the night before and the only thing kind of her lifeline between her and anyone else outside of her care had been um, had been the cell phone and so, you know, what, what we use as an example of how the system failed in a lot of ways um, to, to inform that this child had, that there were other factors that prevented her from maybe responding calmly, but that that's what our role as adults should be, is to, our role should, in at least in part, be to lead with care first. And, um, and so, that I think organizations like yours that are are helping both teachers and students to understand um, all of the stressors that come in with being being in this uh, situation, uh, it's very important. And you you mentioned uh, something that we've we've talked about on the show before, something called ACES. Uh, this is an acronym for adverse childhood experiences. I'm going to have you tell us a little bit about them, but um, just to say, you know, re remind some people who may be interested in reading a little bit more about them. I think there was a, a really well-received TED Talk some years ago by a pediatrician out in the Bay Area, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris. You, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Oh, oh, Burke-Harris. Yes, yeah, she did an awesome yes. job. Yes, and she wrote a book called The Deepest Well um, and, and really brought into the spotlight this, this idea that there are these experiences that we have that are somewhat cumulative uh, and, and play a role in, um, in our development. Um, so, Renee, can you tell us a little bit so our audience can understand the work that you're doing with ACEs, but what they are? What, what do we mean when we say, you, you mentioned how many ACEs are you holding? Can you give us a description yes. of that? Well, the original study studied 10 specific childhood adversities, 10 ACEs, so to speak. There are more adversities that we can face as children and as adults, but these specific 10 were those that the parents actually could have control of if they were healthy. So in other words, parents can't control if there's a tornado or a hurricane or a diagnosis of cancer or a horrible car accident. Those are not things any of us control, and yet they are adversities. But these 10, the ones that were studied, are ones that parents could control but often don't. And when they don't, uh, what does that do to the child when it is happening 
throughout their entire childhood. So the 10 that were studied, there were three that fell under abuse, physical, sexual, and emotional. There were two that fell under neglect, um, emotional, and physical. And there were five that fell under family dysfunction. So um, mental health, um, drugs and alcohol, divorce, a parent being incarcerated, or domestic violence. And uh, if if when they did this survey, they surveyed over 17,000 sort of middle-class people. Uh, what they found was that uh, nearly 64% of us have at least one to three aces in our childhood. And like 12.5% of us have four or more. And And four was kind of the tipping point where things really – really go south as far as your health as an adult. So it doesn't go away because now I'm an adult and I can control it and I can just walk away from all that nonsense. No, it actually rewired your brain. And what they were able to prove to this study is uh, experiences of mental health, uh, uh, depression, uh, suicidality, um, even physical health. You're uh, much more susceptible to have heart disease, liver disease, lung disease, uh, all of these problems and social problems, the, the, uh, you know, the chances that you would go, end up going to jail uh, mm-hmm. because of all of these adversities that you faced as a child. And what we're saying is now that we've identified that, can we – I'm trying to take that information out to our students and say, look, you know, you know what's going on in your home. You may not know that this is – dysfunctional but now that you know that this is dysfunctional you have to take that information with you into your you know adult life and first off you need to deal with it in some way you know get into therapy get into treatment Um, you need to address those issues certainly before you have children because if anything's going to make dysfunction rise to the surface it's going to be a crying screaming baby and Mm -hmm. so just making that awareness happened to our youth is a big deal to me, such a big deal that not only did we produce a a documentary on the topic, I also wrote a Bible study on the topic because I think our churches could have a big role in reaching Mm -hmm. their people any way that we can. You know, I used to always say that, look, if all of our kids were in the park, I would take this message to the park, but they're not. Most mm-hmm. of our kids are in school. If we want to reach our youth before they become parents, we got to take this into our school systems. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, this is not about money. We already mm-hmm. have these teachers in our schools. We already have these textbooks in our schools. This is about reprioritizing. And a, a common question that I get is, well, where is the evidence that this kind of education would work? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, my pushback is, is where is the evidence that a gym class, which is required for graduation, has reduced or helped our health in any way? Has it reduced obesity? Are we healthier physically as a nation? I'm, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. maybe we need to be looking at some of the other mandates, not get rid of the classes. I think we should offer gym class and art class and music class and all of those electives. We need to offer them, but do we need to have the mandates on them? Because if you remove those mandates, administrators can guide more students to these life skill classes that we know we're lacking in our society. Sure. You know, I was going to ask you, um, what, if any, pushback do you get 
um, and and if, what ages? Like, so, you, are you going in and you're talking to students in high school, or are you talking to middle school students? Who are you talking to? And well, then, are they are they actually? Do you get people saying that? You know, my kid doesn't need to hear about abuse and foster care. Uh, are you getting any of that kind of pushback? No, actually, the the only pushback that I've ever gotten, and it was really just, um, it it was really just a a, a a weariness or a leeriness from child welfare, because they forget they're dealing with people that have already harmed their children. And mm-hmm. they're trying to form a relationship with these people because they know the law's saying we have to give these children back to them. And so when you stress out the next time, we want you to call us for help. So they're trying to form this relationship with these people. And what I'm trying to say to them is, but my audience, because my primary target audience is high school, my audience hasn't done anything wrong yet. Now, don't get me wrong. I know high school students aren't angels, mm-hmm. but most of them have not abused a child. And so we can afford to say, look, this is what this looks like, you know. So before you find yourself in this situation, and you know what? There are many parenting situations. We can tell every kid you're going to be, if you're going to be a parent, you're going to have nights where your baby just won't stop crying, you know. So how do you cope with that? We can prepare them for that. You're going to have moments in Walmart where your child's going to be the one on the floor throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm. We can prepare mm-hmm. them for that moment. Mm-hmm. Those are normal, common things that all children do right up into the teen years. They're all going to lie to you. They're all going to test you on how they can dress and how they can leave the house and present themselves. And so that's what we're trying to to get our students talking about in the classroom because kids that – are growing up in dysfunction, the light bulb can go on. Oh, mm-hmm. there are other ways of handling this, and there's a way I would have never have thought of. And kids that are growing up in healthy homes need to know you, you can fall in love with someone. They can be handsome or pretty, smart, driven, uh, you know, eventually make have good jobs and make good money. None of that is an indicator of what kind of parent they're going to be. Sure. And so sure. you you need to be looking at their family, where they came from. And it's not to say that you don't want to get involved with them, but you need to go into this with eyes open because mm-hmm. this could ultimately be the person that you share a child with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's where we're going. And to be honest with you, the whole goal of producing these documentaries was so that we could reach more and more and more in our documentaries are being used in classrooms in well over 600 school districts across the nation already. So um, we aren't getting any negative pushback from educators, from parents, from students, from teachers, from faculty members. We've never gotten any negative pushback. The fear has always come from child welfare, and it's because Mm -hmm. it's a deviation from what they know, you know, and what they do. And even though they know – what they're doing isn't getting us ahead of the game. In fact, we keep falling further and further behind. And I don't think that that's child welfare's fault. I think that mm-hmm. there were a lot of factors. You know, when the economy crashed in 2008, I can tell you that child welfare, I was working with those people. And they said this is going to be bad, and they were right. And mm-hmm. then when the uh, opioid epidemic hit, they said this is going to be bad, and they were right. 
so they mm-hmm. can see when it's coming. And when COVID hit, you know, they said this is going to be bad because when schools closed down, more than 50% of the, of the hotline phone calls they get are from educators, wow. the people that are with your sure. children five days a week, seven and eight hours a day. Those are the people that are calling and saying, hey, you need to look into this. Sure, sure. And nobody was making those calls. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I certainly believe that. Um, you know, as we enter our last, we have just a few more minutes. And I would just like to hear, and I'm sure my listeners would love to hear you say something about um, your what you say as a part of COPE 24, is that you believe that the way to break the cycle of abuse um, is educating and providing the youth with a coping skill set. Uh, that yes. might not have been modeled for them. Um, tell us just briefly about what is this coping skill set? What are like some of the actual things you might say to uh, children about, here's what you need to know. And I, I, I heard you loud and clear about here the, that the example might be when the child throws a tantrum uh, in the middle of the floor at a, in, a, in a store, in a restaurant. Um, and but are you are you actually saying here's how you handle it? Are you giving them the language and the the tools to de-escalate a situation uh, with a child and and talking to them a little bit about child development, where like the benchmarks of here here are the behaviors. This is what you can expect from a child that's six, that's ten, that's fifteen. Uh, is a- that absolutely. what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we try to do, and every family and consumer science teacher I've ever met tries to do, is let students know there is no one right way to do parenting, Mm -hmm. and there's no one wrong way to do parenting. So when we put together any kind of video material, we we create curriculum that provides um, a lot of discussion and a lot of debate so that students can hear all sorts of ideas, not just coming from the teacher, but mm-hmm. also coming from other students. So we want students sharing, well, this is how my parents handle that situation. Oh, the student over here, this is how my parents handles that situation. So that kids can start seeing, oh, there are a lot of different ways. Oh, I kind of like that. Because you and I know if you've raised children, what works on one child doesn't necessarily work on the next child. That's right. You have That's to have right. other uh, uh, options. And these teachers are so good at that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally believe there's a marriage that needs to happen between family consumer science teachers and child welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Teachers are all called into being social workers, and they don't want to be. They want to teach. And social workers are often called into being educators. They've got to teach these parenting classes, but they wanted to be social workers. And I'm saying, sure. wait, there's a marriage that should happen here, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Sure. No, I definitely understand. And I think uh, those are really um, good examples of what our, what, what the students need to know. And, and, and your point is well taken about uh, bringing those together. So thank you so much. Um, well, it looks like we're out of time, but I uh, do want to thank you for joining us. And uh, to all the listeners, I'm sure that this was uh, very, very informative. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows that uh, we'll be back on December 2nd uh, for another show, Principles in COVID. Uh, We're going to have a panel of principals 
who are going to talk about the challenges that they've been dealing with in the closing of schools last year and the reopening of schools in August and September of this year. Uh, so we'll be talking about the challenges that school leaders face. And so, Renee, again, just want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, you're doing great work, and we, we wish you all the success in the world. It's very important work and just wish um, you a great deal of success with COP24. Uh, and uh, for those of you out there who um, are interested, you can go and look uh, up COP24 uh, and, and you'll see uh, curriculum, you see books and videos. They have a lot on the website. Renee, you wanna give your, your website for our listeners? Yes, it's COP24, C-O-P-E-24.com. Thank you. And so until next time, we'll be back here December 2nd. Go well, stay well. Thanks, Renee. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.